0: Psalm 119, beginning with verse 9. Receive the word of the living God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. About two and a half weeks ago, the United States Surgeon General issued a new advisory about the effects of social media use, uh, the effects that social media have on the mental health of youth. So apparently, up to 95% of young people aged 13 to 17 report to using social media platforms. And more than a third say that they use social media almost constantly. The Surgeon General reminds us in the advisory that he released that adolescence and childhood represent a critical stage in brain development that can make young people more vulnerable to harm from social media. What's particularly concerning is just the sheer amount of harmful content that they can be exposed to, including violence, overt sexuality, bullying, harassment, but compulsive use of social media also disrupts healthy sleeping patterns and distracts from important in-person flesh and blood interactions that are so important for human social development. It is seen as a main driver of the current national youth mental health crisis. Uh, Increased feelings of depression and anxiety can be reliably linked to the rise in popularity of social media use with young people. So says the U.S. Surgeon General. What the Surgeon General might not recognize is that it's not merely the time or the social pressures that come with social media use that cause the difficulty. Young people are being exposed to an overwhelming amount of communicators who intentionally set out to influence their hearts and their minds. Influencers want to disciple them in the way that they think is right. And of course, we know that the system incentivizes those influencers who are the most shocking and the most dreadful. And so they are the ones who are seen and heard more often than others. And because generally speaking, young people don't necessarily have the ability to discern carefully between harmful ideologies and true truth, they're more vulnerable to being guided off course. Uh, This is only going to get more and more complicated and difficult as artificial intelligence is progressing. Uh, I know there are some social media platforms even more recently who have uh, issued these new programs where they have chat agents that you can interact with. And these AI chat agents provide the illusion of counsel, the illusion of empathy, and the illusion of understanding, but they will not, we can rest assured, be providing godly biblical counsel to them. The young are really by definition naive, and that leaves them vulnerable to listening to and being swayed by voices of outright foolishness. This is essentially the story of the, that fable that we know called Pinocchio, right? There is that young wooden puppet boy Who is naive, gullible, easily swayed, and Pinocchio falls victim to cunning manipulators who are willing to exploit his trusting nature. His gullibility leads him astray, leading him down a path of treachery and trouble. There's that sly fox and cat, along with the conniving Stromboli and the toxic environment of Pleasure Island all taking advantage of Pinocchio's lack of wisdom. Young people need help to cultivate careful discernment as they set out on the path of life. This is one of the main points of the book of Proverbs, if you've seen it there, but it's probably a situation that I'm sure that you are familiar with, having once been a young person, if you're not currently Maybe it's somebody in your life who you know to be young, naive, and easily misled, misguided. Well, it's a theme that occurs in today's sermon text as well. We're meditating on Psalm 119 for a few weeks over this summer. And as we learned last week, Psalm 119 is all about rightly valuing God's revelation in words. Rightly valuing God's revelation in words. Uh, the way that God has revealed truth and beauty and goodness to us through word. It's a long psalm because the psalmist writes eight verses that each start with uh, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so eight verses times 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet give us 176 verses. Uh, One long meditation on God's revelation in words. And he's doing this from uh, every angle. Uh, The reason that he's going through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is because he wants to be as comprehensive as he can be, as he's considering this subject from A to Z, as it were. He wants to be comprehensive in this poetic exercise of valuing and meditating on God's revelation and words. So as we read through this, we have noticed last week and noticed this morning that it, it appears repetitive. It is repetitive by design. But as we slow down and as we meditate on it, Lord willing, we will notice that there are actually plenty of unique insights in each of the stanzas. Our big idea from this second set of eight verses of Psalm 119 is this. By believing with our heart and confessing with our lips, we pursue God's pure path. And We'll break this up into two two sections Two sections of four verses each. First, bank up and store God's instruction in your hearts, verses 9 through 12. And then second, bring up and delight in God's instruction with your lips, verses 13 through 16. Let's pray as we start. Father, we, we uh, come to you with great humility, recognizing, even as we have already sung, whether we are young or old, we are prone to wander. Uh, we know experientially what it's like to be drawn towards foolishness. And so we ask that you would, by your word and spirit this morning, help us to reorient our hearts, our minds, our lips, our ears to be able to rightly delight in and value what we ought to rightly delight and value in, knowing that, trusting that, it actually leads to our true happiness. Help us to trust you. Help us to focus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first, bank up and store God's instruction in your heart. I'm going to read those verses, those four for us one more time. Uh, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And I want to break this first point down into an A and a B. First, let's just consider this verse 9 as a, a controlling verse of this set of 8a, early habits of submission to God are a blessing. Verse 9, early habits of submission to God are a blessing. So what we saw in the first set of eight verses last Sunday is that there is essentially two ways to live. Uh, there is a wise way in a foolish way. There is a way of blessing and true happiness, which is that wise path that God provides, that ultimately leads to God himself. And there's a foolish path that we design ourselves that takes us further from God. And so the psalmist wants to be utterly devoted to the right path, you can see that in verse four, in order that he would not be utterly forsaken by God. You can see that in verse eight. So he's clarified, the psalmist has his intent Uh, He knows which path he wants to pursue, that path of wisdom. But he knows himself well enough, as we do too, I trust, to recognize that it's not enough simply to have good intentions. Those often pave the path to hell. He knows that he's prone to wander. He knows that he might stray from the right path. And so he asks the question that we see here in verse 9. How can I keep walking in that blameless and pure path of God? How can any young man or woman, the word translated here as young man could be rightly translated as young girl as well, a young person. And just as quickly as the psalmist raises the question, he provides a response, he or she should guard his or her path according to God's word. Uh, The word translated as way in verse 9 is like a well-worn road. It's a path that has been traveled on a lot. So the wagon wheels have set in their own little ruts. We know this to be true. The mere repetition of the habits that we practice in our lives leave their lasting mark on our behaviors. And with time, we settle into our own way without even thinking about it. That's a second nature. It simply settles in. And you know what it's like when someone somebody you know pops off into anger, or they uh, get excited about sharing some gossip, or it's clear that they take offense easily, and then someone notices that, and they're like, well, that's just his way. His way. This is the concept. The psalmist notes that it is important in life to begin by setting early habits of submitting to God's authority so that the ruts become well-worn in the right places. An archer has to aim true before she releases her arrow. The slightest adjustment of the arrow's trajectory in the bow can result in a drastically different destination of that arrow. Every subtle motion made in those early moments ripples through the arrow's voyage, impacting where that arrow is going to land. So how could a man... A young woman, a young man, how can he keep his habitual ruts of life from getting established in foolish quicksand? By guarding that path from its earliest trips, according to God's word. By hearing and listening to wise counsel from those who have come before, to submitting to wisdom, from hearing counsel from those who have already walked the path we can give them insight to keep them from going astray. Don't go down that path. I had the joy of camping with my family for a couple days earlier this week at Oak Creek, and we did some fishing. And from where we were at, we could see on the opposite side of the creek, there was a deep pool with some fish in it. And uh, so we wanted to get a little closer. And in order to do that, we had to walk down the shore a little bit to find a spot where there were some rocks that we could hop across in order to get to the other shore to just drop right down into that pool. And uh, one of my boys went first across, hopping across the rocks, across the creek. And about halfway across, he stepped on a shaky rock. And as soon as he did it, he turned back and warned me. He said, hey, look out for that one. This is the principle we have here. Uh, His experience on that path allowed him to give me information about how to stay safe as we're crossing that creek. So what does this look like practically? For parents, we do well to recognize that paths of disobedience and rebellion are best caught and corrected early in life. There's nothing funny or cute about sinful behaviors or postures or attitudes in children. Don't let them fool you into thinking it's cute. Treat disobedience early and often with loving, firm correction for their good. And for those who have kids who are a little bit older, this is not a law I'm prescribing, but we really should consider delaying giving smartphones to kids. And even when they do get them, as parents, those responsible for them, we should be carefully guarding their use. Hopefully you know that YouTube is filled with foxes and strombolies who would love to guide your kids off to the prison of Pleasure Island. Consider simply not allowing social media use. This is not a rule that you have to obey, just throwing it out as an option. I'm not prescribing this, this is a matter of wisdom and prudence for your families. But it is true that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And this does not simply apply to children. We know that there are YouTube channels that will convince you of whatever you want to be convinced of. Please be careful. Exercise discernment, young or old, in the voices that you are willing to listen to and submit your wisdom to. As parents, we prayerfully provide the instruction that we find in God's word to our kids. And then we live in such a way that makes it clear to those kids that you actually really do believe what you're saying. They will notice your lack of integrity when almost no one else does. So if you complain about, if you avoid spiritual disciplines or ordinary graces, your kids are going to pick up on it. They will notice if you're seeking God with all of your heart or if you're simply seeking the approval of others so that they think well of you because it looks like you're seeking after God. B, follow God, not your heart. Verses 10 through 12, so you have heard it said, I'm sure, or seen it cross-stitched into a pillow, that you should trust and follow your heart. But wisdom would have us train our heart, not blindly trust it. This is the principle we find here in these verses. You can see it both in verses 10 and 11, that God's instruction and teaching shouldn't just bounce off of our eyes. It shouldn't go in one ear and out the other. It should nestle down into our hearts. It should be woven into the threads of our very heart. The problem of sin, as it is understood from Scripture and our own experience, is that our problem... It's not simply that we've not been exposed to right wisdom. Uh, We're not merely uninformed. We're not merely misguided. Our problem is that our hearts are shady. Our hearts are shady. God's instruction isn't simply for the information of our minds. It's for the inclination of our hearts. The Israelites spoke of the heart as the control center of the human person. Uh, Not simply the place that you feel emotions, but the place that you make decisions, the place that you make plans, where your greatest desires and hopes are, but because of our fallen nature, our hearts are not the trustworthy compass that we sometimes assume or think that it is. The prophet Jeremiah put us on blast. We can see it in chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? If the heart is dis- desperately sick and deceitful, and it is, then it needs to be disciplined and healed. And what standard then do we use, friends, in order to do that, to discipline and heal our hearts? How do we sort out our emotions and our thoughts and our plans? by sifting it through the grid of the Bible. We store up scriptural wisdom in our hearts in order that we might not wander from his teaching and sin against him. All sin is sin against God. When I'm in crowded places, sometimes I get a little nervous about having my wallet in my back pocket. And so if I I have another option, I'll put it in my front pocket. If I'm wearing a jacket, I'll store it up here in the inside pocket just to be safe. The psalmist gives a picture of a person who values the word so much that he hides it in his heart for fear that sin might prowl by and snatch it from him. It has always been God's intention to have a people who would search after him with a wholehearted devotion. This is central to the whole story of the Bible. It is certainly central to the covenant that he made with Israel when he redeems them from Egypt, and he gives them his instruction, his law, his Torah. It was after he had already entered into a redemptive relationship with them. I'm going to repeat this because if we don't grasp this principle, we are not going to understand why this psalm is good for the Christian. God's instruction is a gift of grace. God's instruction is a gift of grace. I know the title of the sermon probably is weird. Uh, unless you're a corporate lawyer or a legislator, you've probably never uttered the phrase delightful statutes before in your life. It wasn't just an arbitrary list of rights and wrongs for Israel. Right? The, the way that they're able to delight in these statutes is because it was the basis of their relationship with God. It's not a list of do this and don't do that necessarily so much as it is to this is how you have relationship with me. Don't wander off the path. This is the way to me. The invitation to walk in the way of God's instruction is a gift. It is not a way to establish your own righteousness. The psalmist is not self-righteous in his desire to be holy here. His instruction is what creates and sustains our relationship with our God. Rather than thinking of God as trying to limit our freedom or stifle our joy, we have to think of the psalmist when he's talking about the law and the commandments and the statutes and the instructions and the testimonies and the precepts and the, the rules and the word. All of these things are gracious guides that turn us from whatever it is that is drawing us away from God himself. The psalmist hopes to hide God's word in his heart. He wants to inform and discipline his heart, not simply to blindly trust his heart. He wants it to desire the right things. Because the ultimate goal of life, friends, is not to pursue our own misguided fallen desires that might seem right to us, but it's to pursue God himself. The heart is like a compass, sure, but it is a compass that we need to regularly reorient to true north by calibrating it with God's word. So when your heart is filled with anger or bitterness, maybe at a boss or a parent or a child, You can bring that that's happening in your heart. You bring that to the Lord and then he reminds you by his word that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) When you're tempted to pursue sinful lust or to give approval to those who do the same, you turn to his word and you remember that faithfulness to God's created order and fleeing sexual immorality in every context is actually the path to true happiness. In a world of lies, you are reminded by God's word that you should love the truth. You bring your heart to the word and you let it sift out what's going on there. Friends, none of this is done in order to make yourself acceptable to God. It is not a way for you to establish your own righteousness. It is not a way for you to work your own way into God's acceptance. It is done as a response to the salvation provided by faith alone in Christ alone. God's Word is the map that guides us out of the maze of the rubble of our own sinful hearts. But it is only as effective as we are willing to allow it to be. So how do you hide God's Word in your heart? Do you have a regular habit of taking in the Bible, of banking it up, of memorizing it, of hiding it in your heart? We recommend a few tools to you. These are three different apps that are available. Not the only three, for sure. Three helpful ones. One's called Fighter Versus. You can snap pictures of the QR codes, or you can just write down the addresses there. Fighter Versus, it's a memorizing app. They've got resources on their website as well. Verse Locker is a free memorizing app. You can set up groups and even turn it into a game with other people You're competing. Uh, Outdoing one another and showing honor to God's word, as it were. And another one called Bible Memory, one that I've used most uh, called Bible Scripture Memory. Uh, Memorize, organize, and review verses with and through that app. There's more to this, right? But whatever method you find helpful to bank up God's word in your heart, memorizing it, storing it, find it and stick with it. Be consistent with whatever method it is that you find helpful. And once it weaves its way into your heart, bring it up and delight in it with your lips. Second, bring up and delight in God's instruction with your lips, verses 13 through 16. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches." I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There is a progression that happens here of of God's word throughout these eight verses. Of course, the word begins with God himself. His instruction is an expression of his very character, his very character, which is good and perfect and pure and blessed. And when we hear the rules of God's mouth as he expresses them to us, our right response ought to be to hide them in our hearts, store them up, bank them up, and then we express them. Verse 13 in particular. Uh, The rules or judgments of God's mouth enter our hearts and then we echo it back with our lips. Uh, Declaring the rules of God's mouth isn't simply or merely to tell someone else about God's rules or judgments, we are helped to repeat them out loud, even for our own benefit. We know that one great method of memorizing something is to verbally repeat it out loud in your own voice multiple times. We see it in verse 15 that he meditates and fixes his eyes upon God's word as well. And so when you hear the word, and you see the word, well, now you've got a multi-sensory thing happening there. It's an additional way to meditate upon God's word. And again, all of this is done with a purpose, the express written purpose of hiding it and not forgetting it. Storing it in the heart and mind, verse 16. I was really encouraged by the nearly 50 people who came out on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago just to hear the book of Romans read out loud I know there was ice cream, too, but I think we won people with reading the Bible. Uh, It does signal a great sense of spiritual health when you prioritize gathering and reading Scripture publicly with others. Uh, It took just over an hour to read through the book of Romans together, and the time, believe it or not, passed quickly. It really does help the mind to focus, not just to see, but also to hear the Bible. Now, I don't want to overstate. I don't want to overinterpret what we are finding here. But this is consistent with what we find elsewhere in Scripture. It is consistent with Christians whom we know to be maturing and growing in their faith and Christ-likeness. This is what it boils down to. To know how to meditate and delight and rejoice in God's word is the way to a vibrant relationship with God and to true happiness. Meditating, delighting, rejoicing in God's word is the way to a vibrant relationship with the living God. We don't forget the things that we delight in. We remember those things that we delight in. If you buried your life savings in your yard somewhere, you're not likely to forget where it was that you buried it. That which we delight in, that which we rejoice in, sticks in our minds, our minds return to it, even of their own effort. But we know that it is easy to forget something or neglect something that you don't actually care about. maybe you've seen a movie, and then a couple years later, somebody's like, hey, did you see that movie? You're like, I might have. It's possible. Sounds familiar. I didn't like it. Uh, And it sort of went in and went out. uh, And it didn't really have any sort of lasting impact. But if you've seen a movie that you really liked, you're like, oh, yeah, I love that movie. It sticks with you. You you remember those things that you delight in. The campfire will die out when you're not feeding it fresh wood. This doesn't just happen on its own. There is consistent effort that needs to go into this. So the challenge before us, as we submit to God's word this morning, is to to guide and to cause our hearts to delight in, in what you find in God's word. We recognize it's not going to happen without consistent, intentional effort, diligence, discipline. It's important to continually fuel the fire in our hearts with fresh wood if we don't want to stray from God's way of blessedness. Verse 15 puts it in one word, meditation. Tim Keller really summarizing what he learned from the Puritan John Owen, says this in his book on prayer. Meditation is thinking a truth out, and then thinking a truth in, until its ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed upon the heart. So I hope you notice the, it is a mental activity But it is also an affectional activity. This should be settling into your heart. This is not always easy. You have to actively fight distraction, you have to actively fight wandering thoughts. But you fix your mind on a truth you've read from the Bible, meditate on it, you can ask questions of it. What have I learned here about God or myself? And then you plead with yourself until your heart begins to turn away from every false way and it aligns itself with the attitudes and feelings and commitments that are consistent with the Bible and the path that leads to blessedness. And then you pray for an experience of the sweetness of salvation that you might actually genuinely, legitimately, in that moment, delight in God's word. Delighting and rejoicing in it. closing warning. If you are a reader of the Bible, you're doing well. But if you're not a lover of the Bible, you might wither and shrivel when the warm winds of temptation and affliction come. Let's make this our prayer. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, I don't want anybody to walk away with the wrong message this morning. We do not need to confess our desire to obey God's law in order to be saved. We need to confess that the law points us to Christ as the resurrected Lord in order to be saved. This is the work of the law on our hearts. To confess that we need a Savior outside of us, to confess Christ with our lips, and to believe that God raised him from the dead with our hearts. To believe that God's judgments and laws and promises all find their their end, their yes and their amen. In Christ. And then we walk as He walked out of our sorrow and shame and sin and into the joyful purity of His marvelous light. Thanks be to God for our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's pray.